All right, well, good morning to you, and uh, we're back in our study in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we've been looking at this now for um, a couple months, and been in this uh, section, and uh, we're, you remember that uh, 1 Peter, the letter that was written, was written to the church that was dispersed, the, the church that was scattered mostly because of persecution, and uh, Peter writes to the believers in that day, in that first century, uh, some of them were going through some great trials. And uh, verse 6 of chapter 1 is sort of the key verse of this whole section. And it says, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And that is the backdrop in which we see First Peter and uh, the letter anyways, and uh, the context that it's written in. And as we come to um, look at this again today, we have already looked at, the suffering of God's people and the reason for that and the fact that Jesus is our risen hope, our living hope. And uh, we had a message on that. And then on Easter Sunday, we were in this text still and we talked about the unseen Christ because the, the one that we do not see, we love. And yet it's not a love that is truly a blind kind of love or a blind kind of faith. There is lots of evidence for the resurrected Christ. And if you know him, you uh, certainly know that He's there, even though right presently we do not see Him. We await that glorious day when we shall behold Him face to face. And I want to pick up uh, this morning in verse 10 of 1 Peter, chapter 1. And we'll begin reading there down through these, just these few verses here. It says, "...of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully." who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who is in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you and by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Father, we come before you again this morning, thanking you for your word, thanking you you've given it to us in our own language, that, Lord, we can also have this same message preached to us, because, Lord, people took the time to take it to the far corners of the earth. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, revelation of Christ, and that even this morning, We can stand here and sit here confidently knowing that we have the message that you've given to to mankind. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we might open our hearts to receive Christ even today and what he has to teach us. You stir up by way of remembrance the things which we already know as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come to this text and sort of at first glance it's a bit strange in in that it talks about a salvation that's come to us and it seems to go back and forward and it even has heavenly visitors that would inquire to look into it talking about angels here and basically if you look at this the it's broken down into three categories of messengers there's those that the the old testament prophets the prophets who came and and they prophesied both foretelling what god has thus said and also what god was revealing to come and we think of uh, much of the Old Testament written in prophetic 
uh, tones and in that it was written before the events actually transpired. So those are some of the prophets that Peter's talking about. But he also talks about those who came and preached to the early church. He's talking about himself and others, the apostles, those early uh, messengers who went out and they brought what they had been taught by Christ himself. And these were first generation Christians, many of them. Uh, They had heard directly from the apostles and had, had their churches really established in that. And then shortly thereafter, of course, you have a second and third and fourth generation Christians that come into play, and that goes out to this very day as that message has been handed off and taught to others as well. And then there's the the third grouping, which is angels. And they're just listed there in the end of verse 12, and that angels actually desire to look into, angels actually study what is going on with salvation and redemption. And uh, there are lots of places in scripture where it talks about prophets lots of places it talks about apostles and messengers lots of places it talks about um, angels but this is the only section i'm aware of where you'll find all three listed right here in first peter as it's recorded for us this salvation now i want to look at that because you have here a, a big section of it reported really or as peter lays it out talking about the message of salvation the gospel and we always get to that i i try to share that every week if i can but i'll, I'll tell you this the the majority of the message that is found in these three verses is focusing on that those the prophets and those early messengers angels just come in at the end now it's interesting because many people today they want to really um you know search out angels and know more about angels and really peter puts it back to this that the angels actually want to know more about salvation and there's a reason for that and we'll look at it well we're going to look at a few things here and and i want you to keep in mind that the prophets and referring to the prophets here the old testament prophets those that had are written in our old testament that's what primarily peter would have been operating out of in those early days and again the word of god as far as the new testament was just being compiled and it was still being circulated in letter form and those kind of things and you come to this uh, first peter the first epistle of peter and it will eventually be canonized and recorded in, and put into scripture uh, the, the prophets predicted the coming of christ the apostles in the early church preached Christ to everyone, okay? And the angels longed to understand the salvation that Christ brings. And I say that because if you're sitting here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ and you have access to a Bible, all right? And I would say everybody has access to a Bible. You might not have it with you right now, but you can get a Bible rather quickly. And if you don't have one, I'll get you one. All right, and you can listen to the Bible online. You can have it recorded. Uh, you can fit the entire audio Bible on a little flash drive. I mean, that's how convenient it is today for us to have the Word of God. But do you realize that in that fact that we have access to the Bible and the message that has been handed down to us, we have more available to us now in this generation than the Old Testament prophets did, and we have more understanding and experience than even angels have. And that's not to lift us up, but it's to keep it in as a backdrop and a reflection that we have a great responsibility. And we have a wonderful grace that has been given to us and poured out on us in these days for that very fact. I want to look at these three areas briefly, and I say briefly, you know how that is. It goes on forever, right? Uh, predicted by the prophets. That's the first point here. And we find here 
the prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's referring to the Old Testament. Now, some of you have done puzzles before. I know I mentioned a few months ago we were working on a puzzle. Thank you, Tessie, for coming over and getting us help on that. We had this puzzle, and it was like 1,500 pieces, and it was terrible. It was, I've given up on puzzles for the rest of my life, I think. But, you know, it was interesting. Even that puzzle that we had, it came in a box, and in on the box of the puzzle was the, the picture that was on there, and then it had all these 1,500 pieces, and, and some of them looked like, you know, they fit in it, and some didn't, and all that. But we were able to very carefully look at the picture and, and then find a place to put them and do that. And, and eventually it all came together. And I tell you, it was, we actually lost one piece. I'll tell you, that was a, a terrible, the last one. We did find it. My wife found it. The couch grabbed it or something. I don't know what happened, but it, we did find it. But I'll tell you, have you ever had that kind of experience with a puzzle? And, and you just don't know. Now, now imagine this, okay? Imagine you have a period of about... <clears throat> Oh, about 2,000 years, okay? And you have, uh, let's just take 300, okay? 300 pieces. Because you know why? The Bible in the Old Testament has 300, it's actually more than that, clear prophecies about the coming of Christ. 300. And I say, okay, you know, uh, over here we have Moses, all right? He was, he was the guy that was used to compile and, and to write down the revelation of God as it was given to him for the first five books of the Bible. And Moses took and Moses spoke of the things of Christ. He was a prophet. And Moses is given a few of the puzzle pieces, okay? But then you go a little further along and, and you have men that come along and, and, and guys like David, right? David had a few more puzzle pieces. And then you have others like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah and I could go right down through all the prophets in the Old Testament and they were all given little hands uh, little pieces of the puzzle and yet they themselves didn't have a picture of the box they didn't know where the puzzle pieces would exactly fit but they were true to what God called them to do and they revealed the word of God as it was given to them in little bits and pieces but they all came together in a in in Jesus Christ him being the finished piece, so to speak. And as that comes together, it all makes sense. And I say that because the Bible is filled with all kinds of prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And those prophecies build the foundation. They really build the picture that we can, by faith, look to. And the picture being the the substance is Christ, obviously. I'm using this as an analogy. But I think of that because you imagine living over a period of thousands of years difference, right? You have uh, men like Malachi who is prophesying and, and he's just a few hundred years away from the time Christ would be revealed. You have Moses who's some 1,500 years, right? Even He's recording others like Abraham and Noah and Adam and others that also were prophetic, okay, in their message. Those things recorded. You have... Uh, others that fall somewhere in the middle like David and and you have Isaiah some 700 years before Christ and everybody fits in a little differently and yet they have this puzzle that comes together as beautiful prophetic puzzle he was predicted by the prophets I want to go down through a few verses and I say a few I've got 18 of them but I'll go quickly okay 
and I don't know if I'll do all of them, but I'll tell you this. These are just 18 of the 300 or more prophecies concerning Christ. Some of them you'll maybe recognize. Maybe some of them you haven't read in a while. I don't know. But one is a familiar one. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now I think of that because that's a prophecy concerning the conception of Christ and the birth of Christ and that there would be a sign that a virgin would conceive and she would have a son. His name would be called God with us. We know this is an important figure. Now this, this is a little puzzle piece handed to Isaiah and I don't know what Isaiah had for dialogue with the Lord on that but he looks at that puzzle piece and he wonders, huh, I don't know how that could happen. And the Lord says, don't, don't worry about how it can happen. It'll happen. Okay, Lord, I believe you. And, and Isaiah does that. And some have said this, that when the Pro- Old Testament prophets were given the revelation of God, it was breathed out through their very pens as they did it. It was similar to an archer who, who would sit back and he draws the bow and, and the arrow that's there is the truth that God's given them, but they can't see the target. It's over the hill. They don't exactly know where this is going to land, but God says this is the trajectory and this is what you need to do. And the arrow is launched. That's faith. (laughs) Not having seen yet all that. You you come to another verse. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Boy, there's the very place that Messiah would be born. The little town of Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before he would be born there, it was predicted exactly where he would be born. Even the very Bethlehem mentioned. There were two Bethlehems in that day. One in uh, Judah, in, in that area, in Ephrathah. And that's named very specifically in that. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. There is a prophecy concerned at the end of uh, the book of Genesis talking about the Messiah, whose name is Shiloh here, but the Jews in their own writings clearly uh, have said that this is messianic, and it is messianic. And it is this that the Christ or Messiah would come out of the tribe of Judah. Out of Judah. That's exactly what happened. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. His lineage, by the way, is clearly established in the New Testament. And his genealogy is the only one that survives today throughout all of history where a Jewish man could go back and trace his lineage before the temple destruction in 70 AD. Jesus' genealogy established in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Matthew as well. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Now listen to this. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her, and by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. This is in a prophetic section as well dealing with where Messiah will rule. He comes out of Galilee. That's exactly what Jesus, where he started his ministry, didn't he? He grew up in Galilee, in that northern part of the land of Israel. Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6, says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. 
And then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for the waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Listen, that is also prophetic from the time of Isaiah. They said, you want to see Messiah? He will be there. And this is some of the signs. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dumb will speak, they will even sing. (laughs) There's hope for any of us, right? (laughs) I'll tell you. And someday, the desert will bring forth streams in the wilderness. That's yet future from now. Again, the prophets, as they received this message, they saw the, the trajectory that the prophecy was on, that Messiah is yet future, but they did not see the full plan. Today we have the completed Word of God, and we know there's yet still more prophecy to be fulfilled, be fulfilled when Jesus returns at His second coming. And he will, establish, he will establish a kingdom that is like no other kingdom has ever been. Psalm, verse 78, or chapter 78, verses 1 and 2. Give ear, O my people, to my law. This is the Lord speaking, right? Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old. When Jesus came, he spoke in parables. Have you ever wondered why did he do that? Why didn't he just make it so clearly evident <coughs> that he wouldn't use just stories that were analogous to the gospel, but that he would just explain it clearly? Well, he did later explain the parables, but he explained them to those that were ready to listen. But he spoke in parables because the scripture said the Messiah would speak in parables. When this man came and he was a storyteller and he would use, speak the word of God through story form, people said, wow. That's what the Bible says Messiah would have to do. It's a prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. By the way, the name salvation there is Yeshua. His name is Jesus. Yeshua is the Hebrew version of Jesus, which is our English version. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was fulfilled when Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Who was that speaking of? Judas, yeah. Judas. And they did, you know. Judas lifted up his heel against the Lord and betrayed him. When Jesus sat at meat with his disciples around the table and he broke bread with them, prophecies were being fulfilled right in their midst. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, even says how much he'd be, he'd be basically sold in. The price of a slave, by the way. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out my wages 30 pieces of silver. My friends, when Christ would go to the cross, and as He went off to the cross there, and He died on the cross for us, listen, He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. The approximate value of that day of, a, of someone who was being sold into slavery. He became a slave for us in that He took on the marks of salvation. He's the one who died in our place. Thank you, Roger. He died in our place, and to some, He wasn't worth much. You realize to this day, He's 
many would say, he's not worth much. He's not worth much more than what... Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau sold his birthright for a a bowl of stew. (laughs) A bowl of stew. Do you realize Esau, as the firstborn, his privilege of his being the firstborn was not only that he inherited everything that his father had, but that he also had the responsibility of being the priest of the family. He had to be the one who would be the spiritual leader of the family. He didn't want that responsibility. He didn't care that he had that great birthright. Instead, he sold it for a a bowl of stew. When Jesus was betrayed, he was a few pieces of silver. My friends, we need to take it more seriously, what we have. We have the Lord Jesus, this vessel as he says, these treasures in earthen vessels, that's us, okay? And we have the excellency of the power of God upon us because of Christ. And sometimes we trod under it, or we put it under our feet, don't we? We just walk right over it. We don't care. And I'll tell you, we need to have that sense of responsibility with it. All right, I'm off track. Let's get back on here. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. That is referring to the the false witnesses that were brought against Christ. Again, written a thousand years before He would come to earth. Isaiah 53, 5, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. Again, a picture of exactly what took place at the cross. And there would be people that would say today and and sadly, many Jews that still cling to Judaism, they, they would say, oh, that's not referring to Messiah. And, and I was told, I remember years ago, uh, witnessing to a Jewish man, and he said, I said, let's look in the book of Isaiah. And I went to turn to Isaiah 53. And he said, no, no, no. He says, I can't read that. I said, what do you mean you can't read that? He says, our rabbis always said that you can't understand that section. I said, that's not, <laughs> I said, let me read it for you. And I did, and I read it for him. I said, is that too hard to understand? I said, somebody has come and he's borne our punishment. The Bible, your Bible declares it. By his stripes we're healed. Not by ours, but by his. You see, today many want to go out and they want to pay for their own salvation. They want to punish themselves for sins they've committed or they want to do some good work to hopefully offset sin and all that. Nowhere in the Bible do you find that kind of salvation. Instead, you find a salvation that is only accomplished by a perfect, righteous, holy God who provided Himself for redemption. He took our place. By His stripes we're healed, not by ours. Psalm 22, verse 16. Listen to this. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. What are they talking about? A thousand years again before Christ would come and be executed on a cross. And the psalmist, he didn't know exactly how that was going to play out. When David writes this psalm, he's not referring to himself. David never had. He certainly had... He had people surround him. You could argue that, but he didn't have his hands and his his feet pierced. That's referring to Messiah. It's a prophecy. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, 
When Jesus hung on a cross, there were two thieves put on either side of him on their own crosses. He was numbered with transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And didn't he do that? When that man looked to Jesus, both having been condemned to death, both dying as they bled out on the cross, and he said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He was interceding for transgressors. You know what? He still intercedes for transgressors. The Bible says of Jesus, because he's raised up, he ever lives to make intercession for us. I'm glad he's interceding today for this transgressor. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. I wonder how many of the the, the dear Jewish people who were there that day around the cross witnessing that event, how many of them would have been pricked in their hearts when they saw the Lord's garments being stripped off Him. And as they, they were casting lots, they were just throwing some dice and saying, whoever gets that, you know, here it is, you know, rolling for His garments. They would have been reminded back to Psalm 22. And you say, well, would they have made that connection? When Jesus hung on the cross... He said this when he just before he died, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the opening of Psalm 22, by the way. Jesus said from the cross, You'll find the answers in the Psalms, you'll find it in the, your prophets, you will see that they testify of me. That's what he was saying. I'm thankful that people have heard that and read that and have gone back and searched the scriptures to see whether these things are so. Psalm 34:20 He guards all his bones not one of them is broken. You know when they came to Jesus as he hung on the cross and the soldier came there to kill him by crushing his his bones they would they would break your lower leg bones and they would do so so that those legs would no longer be able to function by lifting you up and you have to lift yourself on a cross to breathe every time. You can imagine lifting against a nail that had been pierced through your feet and you have to rise up and do that. And in sort of a, a merciful way, if there's ever such a thing with the Roman crucifixion, they would often go after so many hours of struggle and they would break the legs of people so that they would die quickly. Because you would suffocate rather quickly. When they came to Jesus, the gospel says this, they broke not his legs because he was already dead. Instead, they pierced his side and water and blood flowed out, verifying he was indeed dead. And I'll tell you this, my friends, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies exactly as they were laid out. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 and I will pour in the house of David on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. That's yet future. Do you realize that the Lord is not done with Israel? And today, much of Israel, people there don't believe in Christ, in Jesus Christ as Messiah. They, they're still looking for a Messiah. And, and they, they do, they look ahead and they say, someday Messiah will come, but he hasn't come yet. And my friends, when they, he comes again, Zechariah says they will look on him whom they pierced. They're going to know then it was Jesus. Jesus is the only one of all the messianic figures that have been out there. And I say that because people like to, 
to, to worship funny things. And, but Jesus is the only one who meets the criteria of the prophecies. Isaiah 53, 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You know what? He was going to be buried with, in a rich man's grave. And we read that in the Gospel accounts. And Joseph of Arimathea came, and, and Nicodemus, remember, and they took the body of Christ. They put it in a grave. They put, they put it there in uh, a wealthy man's tomb. There was no other bodies that were there. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's the Hebrew word for Hades in the Greek. Or the grave. It's translated in the Old English as hell. The understanding is it's the abode of the dead. It's the grave. He says this. You will not leave my soul in the grave. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's a prophecy concerning the resurrection of Messiah. The Bible and the Old Testament prophesied to that end. You see how the pieces come together. The pieces only come together, though, when you look at them in the whole and you, you, you're able to see what the Bible clearly declares. And by the way, that's just 18 of the over 300 prophecies. If you want to get excited about something, go and study that out. I'm telling you, there's lots of... I'll give you a list, okay? I'll, I'll send you things and I can have you look through them but you check it out all right you get your bible you look don't just believe me all right that's why we go verse upon verse precept upon precept and i i take the time to put these things in to make sure you see it because it's not my message it's his all right it's exciting that way it was predicted by the prophets and i think of that because you take those that jigsaw puzzle and and you, and you imagine just even a few let's say 18 different people with all these different prophecies and, and they are in different times and they all have to fit. <laughs> and only God can bring them together. Only God. He's the only one that can do that. Oh, I'm thankful for that. They spoke of the sufferings of Christ. They spoke of the position of Christ. And by the way, Jesus uses the Scriptures to declare Himself after the resurrection. And I won't turn there, but you know Luke 24, when he's on the road to Emmaus, and he's just a stranger to these other two that are, they were followers of Christ. They calls them disciples, but they were confused and they were saddened. They didn't, this was the resurrection Sunday that morning, and, and they did not, now Christ's body is missing, and all this stuff that had gone on was just a mystery to them. And Christ comes alongside them, and he tells them this after they tell him, you know, about their situation. He says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he takes the scriptures, beginning with Moses and the prophets, the Moses being the, the, the first five books of the Bible and, and the prophets, that prophetic section, the historical section as well. And he goes and he expounds onto them all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus didn't perform some miracle, you know, on the road. He could have done that, turning stones to bread. He could have made water flow in the desert. He could have done any of that. Instead, he takes the Bible. And you know why I love that? It's because I have the Bible too. I can't turn stones into bread, and I can't make water flow in a desert without you know, irrigation canals, things like that. But I'll tell you, I can take the Bible, and I can show people from the Scriptures why Christ is who he said he was, 
he is found here. Lo, in it, I come in all the volume of a book. It is spoken of me to do thy will, the Bible says. We have a prophet that's greater than Moses. We have a priest that's greater than Aaron. We have a king that's greater than David. All those were just images or types, uh, a shadow of a, of a greater to come. I want the substance. And then you have those that were preached uh, by the apostles. Okay, He goes on and he says, uh, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that was to come to you. And, and they did. They prophesied grace. Often we think of the Old Testament as, a, oh, it shows us an angry God who's out there to get people, right? I don't know. Don't read the Old Testament. They say, what? You know, go back and look at the Old Testament. You'll see a God who demonstrates his love in ways that only, you know, that are clearly seen in those. And his grace and his mercy, all those themes just overflow in the Old Testament. Searching What? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, what this is saying also of those Old Testament prophets is this, that they even searched out the time. Do you know that the very time of Christ was predicted? We looked at a few of those already. We didn't look at like Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 11, also talking about certain times. We didn't look at different passages where the, I think the timing of things was very clear. But both through the book of Genesis, Shiloh, talking about the scepter of Judah departing. By the way, the scepter of Judah, the control over capital punishment, the Jews believed that when that departed them, and it occurred just a year before Christ was crucified, that they believed that that prophecy had not come true. Because they saw the scepter of Judah depart from them. The power and authority over civil matters was given to the Romans and the Jews lost it. And they said this in their own uh, commentaries of the day. The scepter of Judah has departed and Shiloh has not come. Shiloh was there. He was soon to be crucified. That's historic. That, that's, that's factual. <laughs> you can look that up. You can look at the, the timing when it said that in Bethlehem he would be born. Listen, my friends, there should have been a whole line of people waiting at the inn, waiting for him to show up. But they weren't. There should have been more people than just Simeon and Anna who were there at the temple waiting for the Messiah to come because they knew someday as an obedient Jewish man, as a boy, an infant, he would have to be brought and dedicated to the Lord. He would have to be under the law because his law would not depart him. All that was there. It's all part of the prophecies. Anyways, they didn't. But there was glories to follow. Well, he was preached by the apostles. Preached. He says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through, though, uh, or through those who have preached the gospel to you. Okay? Now, here, Peter is in a wordy way there, but he's lumping this message has been handed on from the prophets now to those that you've heard from. He's referring to the people of, that he's writing to. And they had heard it from the apostles. They were given that. And, uh, and then from there, you could also say it's been handed on from generation to generation to us today. We've been given that same message. And it's interesting because... A lot of times today people are looking for new revelation. 
They're looking for something new that God is going to say or that some new angle on something. And really, the message of Scripture over and over again is listen to what is already written and listen to those who've come before us and taught the apostles and their doctrine and their beliefs and the prophets before them and and stake your foundation on those things not always looking ahead and saying oh i i know god will reveal something new to me well he's revealed everything we need for both life and godliness both here and forever and that's given to, to us in the scriptures Oh, I can say more about that, but I won't here for lack of time. But we have, um, we we have a world that is, um, it's, it's filled with all kinds of advice out there, isn't it? Uh, you turn on the news or the talk shows or or whatever. It seems like somebody's out there to give advice on political matters, on spiritual matters, economic matters, uh, geopolitical matters like war and things like that. And then we've seen all kinds of things happen in in recent days that have a lot of people talking. And I go back to this, that the purpose of a Christian and the purpose of the church is to declare Christ. Just like the Old Testament prophets had that purpose, was to declare Christ and to do it faithfully. We can be caught up in all kinds of sidetracks, which may be important, even in and of themselves, but they're not the most important thing. And I really believe that to, to be someone who's going to, not as an individual Christian, but as a church, we need to be exalting Christ. And as we exalt Him, He draws people to Himself. He does it apart from our political views. He does it apart from our, our uh, opinions and matters and all of that. And our primary message should be Christ. It's hard to stick to that, though, sometimes, isn't it? But that should be our primary message. It's the only message, by the way, that carries any eternal hope, all right? in that and then the last part of this uh, verse in this section it says this uh, it says by the holy spirit sent from heaven that was the the same spirit of god that breathed out he's called the spirit of christ breathed out his word through the prophets gave it also to the apostles the same message but it look it says things which angels desire to look into and that's an interesting verse right there or that end of that verse 12 do you realize that angels desire to look into this message of salvation you say well how do i know that i know it because the bible tells me it and and there are several times where angels interact with uh redeemed people and by the way the two are not the same if you looked in scripture man was created distinctly different than angels angels are of their own selves okay they are they were created uh, we don't know exactly when they were created, but they were created sometime after God began creating, all right, in that first week. Uh, but we do know this, that man was created unique and different, and he's not an angel, all right? Uh, we do know a little bit about angels from Scripture that about a third of the angels of heaven fell with a, an angel named Lucifer. And uh, Lucifer, the anointed cherub, as he's called in Scripture, was cast away from God's presence because he chose to um, be like God or try to be like God. That's what he wanted to do. And in pride, he was lifted up and he was cast down because of his pride. And he has brought to this world sin, the same sin angels committed with him, which was a sin of rebellion against God. And man, who is also deceived into following Lucifer, Satan is his name, 
uh, in the garden. You read of that in the account of Genesis chapter 3. Um, did the same thing angels did that when Satan promised Adam and Eve that the day you eat thereof, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. In other words, you'll be like God. And they partook of a fruit that God said don't. Okay, And they partook of that fruit. And, and because of that, sin entered into the world. That's why we live in, in such a messed up world today. You wonder why there's such evil things that are perpetrated? Why there's such disorder among things? Why there's so much bloodshed and violence and all those different things? It's because we live in a fallen world. And it's because, really, it originates with angels that fell. Those aren't the angels that we're talking about here. Although those angels may indeed also want to look into uh, redemption and salvation. But there is no hope for angels to be redeemed. But the ones that did not fall, to this very day, they still inquire and they still look into these objects of redemption uh, and this whole idea of salvation. We also know from Scripture, Jesus says that, that there is rejoicing in heaven of the angels when one sinner repents. Even when one sinner repents from their sin, there's a great rejoicing in heaven. And yet, though they rejoice, the angels can rejoice, they don't fully understand it. And you'd say, well, why don't they understand it? Are they intelligent beings? Yes, they are. Probably far more intelligent than any of us. But I'll say it this way, because they have not experienced the lostness of man, they cannot experience the redemption of man. So it's a mystery to them. In the imagery that Peter uses, the things which angels desire to look into, the word desire carries the idea of a, a jubilant expectation, but it's, it's like an idea of, in the Greek of standing on your tiptoes. You ever been in a crowd when, when uh, something is happening and you can't quite see it because someone's in your way and you stand on your tiptoes? That's what the angels do. They stand on their tiptoes wondering what's going on. But then it says to look into. The word used to look into means to bow down. Well, I guess suppose from a heavenly perspective, you'd have to bow down to look to man. <laughs> but they do that. And you kind of have that imagery in your head of these angelic beings who are watching. Uh, Paul declares that also in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 that these things about Christ are, are given to us that we might declare them to principalities and powers. I think he's referring to angelic realm. That as we proclaim the gospel message, we don't do it only for mankind, but for all. Yet we don't see angels, okay? They don't manifest themselves anyways regularly. Although in the book of Hebrews, it says some may have entertained angels unawares. It's very possible. But I would just leave it at that. They desire to look into salvation. And the word desired means a strong desire and kind of the idea of standing on your tiptoes in doing that. And I, and I wonder, why would they? You know, why, of all the things that man has done and that the great creation that we have around us that God did and, and how we've interacted with that and all the technology we have, surely angels would be far more interested in that kind of stuff because that's what, a lot of times we are more interested in that kind of stuff. But no, they're interested in salvation. Maybe that they wonder why. Why would God, why would God, the Lord Jesus, you know, God the Son, leave the realms of glory and come to this earth and die for sinful man? Die for sinful man. It means he had to become a man to die. Angels don't have that experience. They don't know what death is like. Uh, they don't know what it's like to live in a fallen world. A world that is tossed to and fro by sin. 
and all of that. They inquire, though. They desire to look into it. I wonder sometimes, you know, if they wonder about the, the changes that go on in someone's life. How, how you can have someone who was a, a drug dealer and was involved in all kinds of crime and all kinds of thievery and all kinds of stuff, and all of a sudden they're on the right track and they've repented from that and they're preaching the gospel on some street corner in Philadelphia. I know a guy who's done that. You, you know, think of that. I think, how in the world? What, what that, how did that change take place? It's called salvation. And the angels desire to look into that. Listen, my friends, I won't belabor that, but I will just say this. If the angels think it's important to look into salvation, I think you should also. (laughs) It's the most important thing you could ever study. You see, everything in our world centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Our entire history, from however far back you want to go, right to creation on, you will find that history, it, it shows us the story of redemption, the story of Christ. And it gives meaning and purpose to our history. Otherwise, we look at it and we think, eh, why did that happen? Why do I exist? Why do I get up and toil every day and go through this, some people think, just a miserable existence? Because apart from Jesus Christ, there is no meaning to it except for the loss at the end, which is great. I really believe part of the curse of sin in Genesis 3 where God said that you'll toil. You'll have to toil in the land. The land will no longer give its fruit like it used to. And you'll toil and do that. And you have to go out and work by the sweat of your brow. You know why God allowed that to come in and He put that curse on man? So that man would hope for something better. Because if you went out and everything you touched turned to gold and everything was comfortable and there was no pain, there were no aches, there were no heartaches, there were nothing like that, we would never look ahead And we'd never know we need salvation. But because of all that, it kind of prods us along and says, you need something greater, someone greater. And his his name is Christ. The Bible declares him. And we know him. Salvation is the purpose of his history. And we are therefore, I believe, the most blessed of all people in history, the church of God, because we know things the prophets never knew. And we can experience something that the angels cannot. And you have that privilege. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that that doesn't know you, that they're a stranger to you, and they have not experienced this idea of redemption and and, and the, the act of salvation that is granted to us freely in Christ, I pray they would today. And, and by faith, just trust you. And Lord, I thank you that you have promised that there is rejoicing in heaven by the angels, even over one sinner that repents. They must see what the really the end product is going to be like. And Lord, I look forward to that day when we see Christ face to face. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we might be faithful at passing on your message to others also. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.